16. Um, we got down about verse 7 last time. So looking at, you know, here, here we've got in the practical section of this book, God is dealing now with how the Christian church that's been redeemed out from under the fatherhood of the devil, adopted into the family of God, made new creatures by the Spirit of grace, how that they should walk and live and how that they should interact. You know, you can look in the other epistles. It's, it's not laid out as much in, in the book of Romans, but he lays out how that the husband should be to the wife, how the wife should be to the husband, how the children should be to the parents, how the parents should be to the children, how that the servants should be to their masters on the job, how that masters should be to their servants on the job, how that we should interact with the government, how that we should interact with one another, how that we should interact with people in the world. So you see, this, this salvation of God, it affects every facet in the life of them that God has saved. And he's uh, been talking about our interaction with the government, what kind of citizen that we ought to be in the countries that we live. And I thought about a scripture. We're not going to review all that. But a scripture in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was prophesying. He said, you're going to Babylon for 70 years. And when you get there, don't rebel. Don't kick against them. But pray for the city. Because in its peace, you'll have peace. And in its good, you'll have good. Was Babylon godly? Absolutely not. And yet there's the people of God. God chose for them to be there. God put them there. And God said you better pray for their good. And so there we are. We're living in uh, the United States. Still a wonderful country. And I, I don't mean to say that it's not. And yet we ought to pray for the good that God would truly, that God would intervene in the decisions and in the thinking of man that we could have a quiet and peaceable life to the spreading and uh, uh, glory of God through the gospel. And so in verse 7, render to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So pay your debts, that that you owe. Give respect to those that deserve respect. Christians ought not be a, a disrespectful and a smart aleck people. They ought not have that reputation. They ought not be uh, delinquent in their taxes. You know, all of these things, while it may not look important, anything that would cause the outside world to look down on the congregation and cause the reputation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be hurt or hindered in the public opinion of man, that ought to be laid aside. And I, I believe you could sum every bit of that up in that it's that my life would not bring a vanity or a hurt of the reputation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you could say the church, and certainly it's through the church that the gospel message of Jesus ought to be going out. That's Sadly, that's getting to be less and less of the case. It's less and less the gospel of Jesus. It's more and more the gospel of man and what man's doing and how man's going to get it done. But the church is the means. So if in the eyes of our community the church is, uh, has a bad reputation... Therefore, the gospel of the Lord Jesus has a bad reputation with it. And, you know, we, we'll have enough of that by standing on the truth. You stand on the truth, your reputation is going to perish in the eyes of the religious crowd and in the eyes of the world. I'll not give them reason. Jesus said, if you're beaten for the truth, glory. Rejoice in that. But if you're beaten for wrongdoing... What good is, what value is that? So pay that. So in verse 8, Owe to no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, 
and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. It's an amazing thing how hard it is to really see the message of the law of God. You got two tables of the law. That first table with the first commandments that deals with my affection, my love, my reverence, and my treatment of God Almighty as I live in this world. But you know what that whole second table is about? What and how and and the way that I treat and live towards you. How that I treat you is what the whole second table of the law is about. It's not about how righteous I am or how good that I am. It's about how that I interact and treat other people in this world. So he says, owe to no man anything. Pay your debts. Pay your debts. And I, I believe that's common sense. I believe, I believe people with a, a decent work ethic, they've got that desire to do that. Owe to no man anything but to love. So love is the debt that's never paid. And do you see the word there, owe? To be under obligation. To be indebted. So I am under obligation and I am indebted to love you. Now, that's not that I'm indebted to Vaughn to love Vaughn. If that's the case, then when Vaughn does something that I don't like, then I'm not going to like Vaughn in return. That's not the case with the church. So let's look at a couple places in Philippians chapter number 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. So let's understand that first verse. Paul's saying if, if you have enjoyed any of these following things. So what, what were they? Any consolation, any of God coming, you know, to console somebody. I think about that. If I'm going to console my kids, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come and take them up in my arms and I'm going to hold them close and I'm going to rub their head and let them know that I love them. Has there ever been any consolation in Christ? When we were, I, I believe, Ezekiel's got the picture as pretty as it could be painted, that as the, the babe was laid in a field with nobody to love it, and it was forsaken and was destined to die, there comes the consolation, the love of God Almighty. He didn't just throw things at us and say, do it yourself, but He came and took us up, and i tell you what He lets you know. He lets you know that He loved your soul and that He was there to do you good. If there's any consolation, any comfort of love. So with that consolation, you know what that brings? That brings comfort. When they're hurt and they need consoling, you can, you can console them and it brings comfort to that that's troubling them. Well, there we were. We were lost in sin, having our eyes open to the fact that we were headed towards the judgment and damnation of hell and that we were guilty of the law. We had broken the commandments. We had done that that was wrong. And the love of God came and took us up. And you know what we did when God's love took us up in His arms? We forgot about every bit of that guilt. We forgot about the judgment. I wasn't worried about going to hell anymore. I was in the arms of the Savior. And He comforted our troubled heart. If any fellowship of the Spirit, that wasn't the end of that. But God, that word fellowship, partnership, 
co-participation. God entered in to me and there He dwells in our heart. There God lives and He's our partner in suffering. He's our partner in hardship. He's our partner in worry and in doubt. We have a a Spirit of God within us. We can go to God in prayer and there is the consolation and the comfort of God all over again. Not just when we were saved, but I tell you when trouble would well up in our life that would cause us to fear and to doubt, we can fall on our knees before God and there is the participation of the Spirit to help us through this journey. Any fellowship of the Spirit if any, bowels and mercies. So bowels. What we would say today is I love you with all of my heart. I love you from the the deepest point of my heart. They didn't use that language in this day. They went a little deeper. The bowels would yearn. But they're saying the same thing. The deepest love that could be had. The greatest love that a man could have, that's where God loved us. You see that? There is no greater love than that a man would willingly and rationally lay down his life that another man could live. And we're not talking about now a heat of the moment and a spur of the moment. You know, something could happen in here and men jump up without ever thinking about it and give their life to protect people in here. But we're not talking about a spur of the moment thing. We're talking about God knew we were going to die and Jesus said, I will willingly give up my life that they could be resurrected. And we know it wasn't spur of the moment. God didn't spring it on him at the end. He said, for this cause I've come. I've come to die. And he carried that load into the garden of Gethsemane and there he prayed three times that the weight and that the punishment of this cup would pass from him and yet for love's sake he bore onward and endured the suffering and the shame of the cross that you and I could be saved. So when Paul says, if there be any, I don't think he's asking a question and wanting to know what you think. But what Paul's doing is he's trying to stir up our minds to see exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. What kind of love. It's a a love with all of the heart. A sacrificing love. And He sacrificed Himself that we could have it. So if there be, then fulfill my joy. So have, have you in Christ experienced any of these things? Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, that you've got the same mind that God had for you, that when you were an enemy and when you were rebellious and when you were sinful and when you were unpersuadable, when mom and daddy couldn't persuade you, when the family couldn't persuade you, when the church couldn't persuade you, when knowing what God's Word said would not persuade you and you willingly walked over top and wiped your feet on every bit of that and yet God said, I'm going to love that man and I'm going to love that woman and I'm going to take them into my arms and receive them as my children. God says, now you be like-minded. I've showed you that love. I pulled you out of that place. I comforted you when you had no love for me. Now you ought to love just like I've loved you. And man says, they've not done me right. I'm not going to love them. That's not the mind of God. But if you've enjoyed the goodness of God, you should reflect that in your love for other people. It's a truth. That's what the whole second table of the law is. 
You're indebted to God to love your neighbor and to love the brethren. Listen to what he says. That you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. With who? Who am I to have one accord and one mind with? Well, he says there that you be like-minded, a mind like God. Why, preacher, we're sinful man. We are sinful man. But there is an inward man that is born of God. And Paul says in the Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ within us. So it's not about whether you deserve or I deserve or what I've done or what you've done. He says here in Romans, owe to no man anything but to love one another because that is the fulfillment of the law. Some, some wonderful scripture right along these lines in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, if you'd like to turn there. Verse number 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. That's hard to, that's hard to pick up on what he's saying exactly. So we've got something that's not new and yet something that is new. Well, he's going to get into the love of the brethren and the love of the neighbor here. But what he's saying is this is not something new. You know where this came from, he says in Romans? It's the fulfillment of the law. The whole second table of the law was about my love for the brethren and my love for my neighbor and how I interact with other people in this world. So it's not something new that John would write down for us to love one another. That's the old commandment. That's what God gave to Moses. But there is something new. Because now it's not just the law that you have to do this or I'm going to punish you, now the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. Not only is... Now, let me ask you this. Is a commandment straight from the mouth of God on top of a burning Mount Sinai good enough reason for me to obey? You better believe it. That's what the law was. You know that? It was in a smoke. The mountain was on fire. There was thunderings and lightnings. And I realize, I realize it's hard to see. But the people down at the foot of the mountain, they were exceedingly fearful and said, I don't ever want to see that again. It scared them to death. So that's the way the law was. Reason enough for me to obey. But the church has even more because God has came and taken the darkness, the blindness, the deadness, the deception, and the lies of the devil. He's removed that from us and the light of the gospel and the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ now shines in our hearts. We're no longer under the power of Satan, but God's plucked us out of the sinful condition that we were in and set us in His kingdom to be His children. So it's the same commandment. God's not changed His commandment. But you know what is new? My condition is new. I've been saved and I have experienced the love of God. So, he saith, he that saith, he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Now John's going to bring it down. I'm going to tell you it's hard to get out from under this, ain't it? 
So John says that if you don't love your brother... Now, forget about the neighbor out in the world. You know where we are here? We're inside the church. We're in amongst the family of God. Here's a man that's saved, and here's a man that's saved, and here's a lady that's saved, and we are brethren in Christ Jesus. And John says a man that cannot love them that are begotten of God like he says that he is, he's in darkness even unto this day. John says, and John is writing by inspiration of the Spirit, and so the Holy Spirit says that it is impossible for somebody to be in the light of the redemption of Jesus Christ and despise the brethren. It's not possible. There will be a natural love in the heart of those that God begets. They won't be like their father, the devil, because they'll have a new father. They're born of God. And they'll love the brethren. And those, listen to what he says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth the brother is in darkness. What you say doesn't matter. You see that? You can profess... A lot of things. But the proof's in the pudding, so to speak. You can say you're in the light. You can say you've been saved. You can say God's done a work. You can say that you're walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God. But the truth is, if you can't love them of the church, then you're in darkness even until now. He that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. This man's in bad shape. You see that? Here's a man that thinks he sees. A man that thinks he knows. A man that thinks he's saved. But he's blind. You know what he needs? He needs his eyes opened. And I can stand here... And I can say we are obligated under God. I can say that if there's no love for the brethren in the church, then there's no work of God done and man's blind. I mean, man, man does not like their brother and their sister. And they say they're in the light. They, they can't see this. That's the problem with man. Man is dead and the illumination of God if, if God does not illuminate, there's no hope of repentance in them. So not a new commandment, but an old one. And on over in 1 John chapter number 4, this scripture already been mentioned. Verse number 10, Herein is love, not that we loved God. Before salvation, was there ever a moment in time that you really loved God. Ever. For a moment. Did you ever, You know who we really loved? Me. There was never a moment before God opened our eyes that we ever loved God. Not that we loved God. But that He loved us and send His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When did He send Him? When we did not love Him. Is that not the truth? Man, today, I swear, if, if you'll just open your ears and listen to what's taught and what's preached, you'll hear some of the most rotten and corrupt and twisted doctrine that there is. But man today's got, we've got them coming to God first and then God's going to pluck them out. That ain't when Jesus came. Jesus came before I ever loved Him. His love was shed before I ever showed love to Him. And you could say that, you could say that back 2,000 years ago at Jesus' first advent. That would be true. Man was dead in sins, no love for God. God sent His Son into the world. But I, we can bring it down personal, can't we? That here we are, and we're in sin, and we love ourselves, 
and with no love for God. And while we're in that condition, now I didn't make a move to God. I didn't say I'm going to do better. And I didn't go to an altar. But the very first thing that happened was God came by and opened my eyes. God convinced me of my sin and showed me the Savior. So who loved first? God loved first. And do you know why I responded? Do you know why I loved God? Do you know why I ran to His arms? Because the first love was from Him. And had God never loved first, I would have never approached Him for salvation. Man's forgotten the darkness that he was in. And he wants to take credit for something that he done. This was a work that was produced of the Father. Of the Father. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The appeasement of the wrath of God. You'll hear this a lot too. Well, God saved me from the devil and He he saved me from me. and All of that's true in a roundabout way. But you know what man really needed saved from? From the wrath and the fury and the anger of God. It wasn't going to be the devil throw me into hell. I wasn't going to throw myself into hell. It wasn't going to be me that was going to bring judgment. And it wasn't going to be the devil that was going to bring judgment. Oh, preacher, it's the devil's fault. I tell you, God's going to throw him first into the lake of fire. And then we're going to stand before God. So it was God's anger and wrath and judgment that I needed to be saved from. You know what God did? God said, I justly am angry with you. You have broken my commandment. You have done wrong. You are worthy of punishment. I can't sweep it under the rug because I'm just and righteous and holy. I can't ignore the law and I can't ignore righteousness. So that in order that you can be saved, my son's going to come and I'm going to pour my wrath and my anger and my fury that you deserve, I'm going to pour it onto him. And the stripes that you're worthy of, I'm going to strap his back. And the mockery and the shame that you're worthy of, I tell you, God, God, wouldn't it be worthy for him to strip us naked and tell the world what we truly were and the life that we truly live? But he stripped his son naked and put him to shame before the whole world. That was my shame. That was my transgression. And that was my sin. And the death that I deserved in hell forever and ever, there He died on the cross in my place. And the wrath of God was appeased. He atoned. He satisfied God's wrath. So the judgment of God, it didn't disappear in thin air. But the word forgiveness through the New Testament, I've said this many times, we'll say it again, it's to lift. He lifted our sins off of us and He put it on His Son Jesus who paid for that there. He was our atonement and appeasement for God's wrath. Beloved, if God so loved us, did God love us that way? He says at the first of chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love that we as we sit here today are called sons of God if God so loved us we ought that doesn't mean that I should well I know I ought to do that that's the way you hear that word today the word ought here if you look it up it's the same word as you see in Romans It's to be indebted, to be under obligation to owe. Who am I owing? If God loved me that way, then I owe it to the God that loved me to love you the same way. Is that not true? 
I believe that this is what the Word of God is saying. I do. I, I believe that this is what God is saying in Romans and in these verses. We are obligated to God. You remember the parable? We got a wonderful parable in the Gospels. Jesus uh, tells us about that king that forgives his servant of a million dollars debt. And then that servant goes out and here's a man that owes him a thousand and he has him thrown in prison for that. And the king says, you bring him back to me and he's going to go till he pays. See, man forgets what he come from. Man forgets where that he was when God came to him. Man forgets about his condition. Man believes that he's good in himself and he wants to put his finger down on others. And if God had done us the way that we do others, we'd have never had hope. We'd have never had hope. And yet God was merciful with us. We ought also to love the brethren. No man has seen God at any time. You ever heard... I'm not even going to ask. You've heard the old cliche that we're the only Bible that people ever read. You're going to see that right here in these Scriptures. You know why? Because no man sees God. We can't go to the Smithsonian and see God. And we can't go to Jerusalem and see God. God's a spirit. He's not visible to the man's eyes. But, listen to what he says, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. So what's happening? Well, here's the church. They've been redeemed. God's love is dwelling in them. That's how they got saved was the love of God. They're showing that to others and other people are seeing the love of God in them. God's not visible, but they're seeing the love of God in the lives of them that God is saved. In how they're loving others. You see that? The love of God is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. God has given us the Comforter, the Paraclete, the the representative that is there to aid us in all things. And as Paul said, when I'm weak, then is he strong? Well, we just can't do that. We can't of ourselves, but it's through the love that God's shown us and the partnership of the Spirit that He puts in our heart the love and concern and care for the brethren. So we owe it. We're obligated. Owe to no man anything. We're back in Romans. But to love one another, for he that love one another hath fulfilled the law. The fulfilling of the law is the love of one another. Well, God ain't God God doesn't worry about how I do other people and how I treat other people and how I talk to them and how I look at God's not concerned about that. The Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, really his his first sermon that he preached as his ministry began on this earth that we have recorded in the Word of God. Jesus said, if you're going to go pray and there's aught between you and your brother, you leave that, go fix that, and then come back. Jesus also says and teaches that if you don't forgive, then God's not going to forgive you. So, you've been lied to if you think God does not care nor take notice of how we do one another. This love, agape, that's the same love in 1 Corinthians 13 that's translated there as charity, same word. That's the love that God had for us. That's the love, pure, holy, complete love for the soul of mankind. And it's that love that fulfills the law. When you think about 
love. The law to, to me, the law is the last thing that comes to my mind. But really, and we've got a pile of Scripture that would back that up. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 22, on these two commandments, love the Lord and love your neighbor. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So God who came down out of heaven and met with Moses and thought it important enough to take two tables of stone and the first time was with God's own finger. God wrote the law on the tables of stone. God's concern was every bit of it, both tables, was with love. With what I love and how I love God and what and how I love my neighbor. That is the fulfillment of the law. Love binds the law together. And so he says here, Thou shalt not commit adultery, kill, steal, bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. All of these things, you know, to kill, to steal, to lie against somebody, to commit adultery and take another man's wife. All of these things. Now, if I loved Anthony more than or like that I loved me, then I wouldn't want to do any of those things to him. Do you see that? So in order for these laws to be broken, first problem is in here. You know, Jesus said it's from the heart. It's what comes out of a man that defiles him. It's not about do this, do that, taste this, taste that, and all of these things will make me righteous. But what it's doing is it's pointing out that there's a a wrongness in my heart. That's what's wrong. That the work of God is missing in the heart. If you get hung up and thou shalt not steal, well, I've never stole. And I've never committed adultery. And I've, I've, never, uh, I've never done eight or nine of these commandments. You're missing the point of the law. You've made it a, a do this and do that. Don't do this and don't do that. And it's become a works-based thing. But you know what the law is? Do you love your neighbor like you love yourself? And do you love God above everything else? And the answer is no. That's the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Because then, you're not going to steal from... You see that? What's in the heart is affecting what I'm doing outwardly. And the reason that I'm not doing you right is because there's something wrong in the heart. That has to be the case. If I can do you wrong then I don't love you like I should and the problem's rooted back in the heart. That's why John says, if you're in the light, that you can't hate the brethren because the heart problem has been operated on. Do you have something you wanted to say? Sure. And that's the commandment. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you love one to another. That's right. That is the love of God being perfected in us. That's man looking because they can't see God, but that love of God that radiates out of those that are born of God 
there they see. They see it through our lives, through the way we live in this world. Love worketh no ill. So that word ill, it means worthless, depraved, or injurious. If I love, I'm not going to seek to cut you down in the least bit. Why would I want to injure somebody that I love? Do you see that? I think that's common sense. I love myself and I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to hurt my feelings. I don't want to hurt my pocketbook. I don't want to hurt my family. I don't want to hurt my body. I don't want to be injured. I'd like to avoid every injury possible, wouldn't you? You know why that is? Because I like me. Oh, if I love you, I'm not going to want to hurt your feelings. Do you believe that? If I love you, I'm not going to want to injure you in any way. Love worketh no ill toward the brethren. Where, Where in God's love, where did He ever injure us? Has our Father ever done anything to injure us? Well, He whoops me. That ain't to injure though, is it? That's looking down the road. and That's, look son, you're going to get in a gum if you keep acting like that. It's discipline. It's to correct me and keep me in the right pathway. Not to injure. No, I tell you the way man is. Man wants to hurt just to hurt. Man wants to bring down just to bring down. And if, if it'll benefit me any, if it'll make me look bigger, if it'll make me look smarter, if it'll make me look wiser, if it'll make me look stronger, if it'll elevate me, if it'll get me a promotion, if it'll get me another dollar, by golly, we'll run them over. You know where the love's at? Me. We've, we've broken the law. Because love worketh no ill toward his neighbor. You forgot one if it'll make me look holier. That's right. That's right. Therefore, love is. There's no wiggle room here. Love is. The fulfilling of the law. Love fulfills the law. Man takes the law. Think about this. This is true. I said this at Lowland just a few weeks ago. Man's good at making everything about himself. Man makes the law about him and what I do and how good I am. You know what the law's about? God and everybody around me. Is that not the truth? How that I am towards you and towards God. It's the truth. It ain't about me. God's sacrificing love, it was not seeking His own good. It did God no good. It didn't do Jesus any good to give Himself to the shame and suffering of the cross. He sacrificed His good that we could have good. And God says that you ought to love the way I've loved you. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is very familiar Scripture. I'm just going to read a few verses there. Verse number 4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Charity suffereth long, long bearing, long spirited. Charity does not in a moment watch you up and throw you away. That's the way God was, wasn't it? God's agape love. Boy, when when you start talking agape in the Bible, it's not love. That's the Greek word here. The Greek word that's translated as charity and and here in, in Romans as love, that's agape. 
And when you see that word, we're talking about a, a holy and a righteous love from God. So it's not seeking its own. It's not puffed up. It envieth not, nor vaunteth itself. So love does not boast itself above the other. Love gives place and gives glory to the other. Is that not right? Love exalts the other and abases me. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. And that's the way love is. And love envieth not. It doesn't look at John Wayne and, well, John Wayne can do this and you know I can't do it. And that, that makes me mad. And I'm mad at him that he's got that and that I don't. I'm mad that, that you've got more money than I've got. That's not fair. That's the world we live in today. That's the mindset of man today. I tell you, love doesn't do that. But love sees somebody get something and we can be happy for them. Because we recognize this. I am where I am by God's foreordination and keeping power. And you are where you are by God's foreordination and keeping power. God's brought us where we are. God's given us what we've got. I'm not going to boast about what I've got because I got it generously and gratuitously and without a cause from God Almighty. And I'm not going to hate you for what you've got because I don't have it. I tell you, that you know where all the focus is. Again, it's on me. It's on me. Charity doesn't do these things. Seeketh not her own. Charity doth not behave itself unseemly. That reads easy, but that's a weighty statement. To act unseemly, unpleasantly, impure. Now, you, you know what acts unseemly? You know what gets out of control? Anger. Anger gets out. It's, it's, it's intoxicating. Hatred and anger and bitterness and strife. You know what it does? It spreads. Toxic. Charity does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, not in the least bit does it seek its own glory, is not easily provoked. Boy, if I love, I'm not going to be provoked to anger near as easy, am I? You know, people a lot of times, they've, they've got their feelings right, right there on their shoulder. And the lightest little bump, and my feelings is hurt, and I'm mad. But you know, if, if I understand that there's love and that it's shared between the brethren by the Spirit of God, then I, I probably ought to give you the benefit of the doubt. Even to me looking ignorant. Paul says suffer wrong. There's times you're going to be done wrong. There's times you're going to be treated wrong. There's times people aren't going to love. People that are in darkness, they're not going to love you. They're not going to do you right. They're not going to be kind. But as the church, we ought not be puffed up. We ought not behave unseemly back in place. But to reflect the love of God for us, not be easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Hurtful. That's what it means. Hurtful. Wickedness. You know what man thinks? <sighs> he needs to get what he deserves. He needs to be brought down a notch. He needs to be taught a lesson. My God, you're saying that to a God looking down on you in your absolute filthy life. And David said, that man's going to pay fourfold. That's well and good, David, but there's a problem. You are that man. I would imagine 
that was deflating. Don't you? Deflating. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. You know where love is? It's right here in the Word of God. Love does not rejoice. The world says, if you love me, then you need to approve of and lay hands on everything I do. That is not the love of God. That kind of love leads man to destruction and damnation. But love rejoices in the truth of the Word of God. If I love you, my desire ought to be to get you the truth. To tell you the truth. To reveal to you your real need. To tell you that that the Word of God says. And not to deceive you. Your father, the devil, he's the deceiver. He's a murderer and a liar from the beginning. The church ought not be so. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That is the love of God in Jesus Christ that He has manifested to us. Just one more place. To love Him, this is Mark 12 in verse 33. To love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love His neighbor as Himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus said, you're not far. You're not far from the kingdom. That's the right kind of thinking. Man thinks today, well, I'll do what I want, and on Sunday I'll offer my offering, and it'll all be good. On Sunday I'll pray my prayer, and everything's going to be forgotten. I'll come down. I ain't worried about what you think. I'm not worried whether I've hurt your feelings. I'm not worried whether I've been mean to you or not. I'm not worried about whether I've ever done the right thing to the church or not. I'm going to come offer my sacrifice, and God's going to accept me. This man said love is greater than all the burnt offerings. Not just one, but it's worth more than the Day of Atonement and the Passover sacrifice and all of that that man's going to offer from his hands. Remember when Saul come back from war, And he hadn't obeyed the voice of God. I know it's time. I'll be done in just a minute. He hadn't obeyed the voice of God. And Samuel said, Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. God's looking looking in the heart. One more place. Hosea 6.6 For I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. It's not about what I can offer It's not about what I give to God down here. God's looking at my interaction as I live in the world and as I live among you. And He's going to go on to say, it's high time. And we'll look at that next time. It's all on our heart. Anything you